You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 86. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And you can go to codingbox.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole bunch of other things. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Jazek. And I'm Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by airbreak.io. When your website experiences an error, Airbreak alerts you in real time and gives you all the details you need to fix the bug fast. And Airbreak just announced Airbreak Insights a couple of weeks ago, which will connect trends and error occurrences with your code changes and deployments. It will actually bring the source code in if you hook it up, uh, hook up their uh, GitHub integration, and it will correlate these hotspots, these files that have changed a lot recently, around the same time the errors ticked up, and it makes it even faster to track things down. And uh, that, like I said, uh, bringing in that source code is really nice. So right now, Coding Blocks listeners can try Airbreak for free for 30 days, plus get 50% off the first three months on the startup plan. To get started, visit airbreak.io slash coding blocks. That's airbreak.io slash coding blocks. All right. And tonight we're taking a break from the computer science topics we've been talking about to uh, talk about a few more practical items. So we each brought a couple topics uh, to the show tonight and, and kind of surprised each other uh, a little bit. And so uh, we hope you enjoy. And first up, we got a little bit of news. So uh, you want to tell us about it, Alan? Yep. So we have our reviews as always. So first, we'd like to thank those that have taken the time to do it. We've got iPawan85, James K479, Matt PBO, Madam Robot, and Nick Key. And from Stitcher, we have Rich Club, Brown the Dev, and Shake Yo App. And like Alan said, thank you guys very much for uh, leaving us a review. If you haven't already, we'd greatly appreciate it if you did. Yep. I do have to say on Shake Your App, his review I loved because it said it reignited his passion for development. And honestly, that's what this podcast did for me too. Cause I was kind of hitting a lull and, and I, that was just awesome. I love seeing people say that it got me excited or, or I started exploring again. You know, that's, that's good stuff. And speaking of thank yous, I've got to give a huge thank you to Vladimir Vlados. You out there, absolutely abysmal person, <laughs> even though uh, that's your screen name, but you're not an abysmal person. Uh, we love you. You've been a huge help on QIT and uh, keeping me in order. Um, I know it hurts sometimes when I uh, am not able to commit something because one of your pre-commit checks is preventing me from doing something dumb, but I do appreciate it, even if I gripe at you about it. So I want to take a minute to uh, say thank you. Very nice. And so into the couple bits of news that we have, this one was brought up on Slack today, and I actually saw it come across my Google feed the other day. There's this Rockstar oh, yeah. programming language, which we'll have a link in the show notes. It's on GitHub, but apparently it's a lot of fun. Like, Joe, I think you've looked into it more than I have, so you want to give a rundown? Uh, I haven't. Uh, Angry Zoot uh, sent me the link, or she posted the link in uh, in Slack earlier, and so I was taking a look, but uh, it looks amazing. The... um the lyrics, the code, I don't know what you call it, but uh, it, it's actually more verbose and easier to read, I think, than a lot of uh, my coworkers' <coughs> code. <laughs> and uh, the lyrics are definitely much, much better than any of the, the music that just, I'm listening to. Just so, so you got to take a look at the syntax. It's really fun and uh, really interesting and weird. A little, a little background here, though, because I don't think this has been said yet. Basically, this is a programming language where the syntax of the language is lyrics from songs. Yes. So in order to you, you're going to have to have a pretty good in-depth knowledge of some song lyrics in order to write a program in this. 
I think they wanted us to read like FizzBuzz or something on here, but but here's a loop. Here here's one that's kind of fun. They say similar to the if statement, a loop is denoted by the while or until keyword, which will cause the subsequent code block to be executed repeatedly whilst the expression is satisfied. So here's some code. Tommy was a dancer. Well, Tommy ain't nothing. Knock Tommy down. <laughs> so that's the kind of code that you're going to see. Which sort of hurts my head a little bit. Like it's I mean, not- you got to sing it. Come on, you can't say it like that. Okay, you sing it. I, I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, they actually have FizzBuzz is already here. So if you wanted to try it, uh, we could definitely do this. <laughs> if you're ready, I don't know how we're gonna do it. We I don't. Try- I don't even. I don't. I'm trying to figure out like what what the tune is for this. But uh, oh, don't don't overthink it, man. Yeah, it's got to cover the soul. This is rock and roll. Okay. Ah, you know what? I'm already over EAB, it. man. EAB. Modulus takes a number and divisor. You see, I can't, I'm not a rocker. High as divisor. <laughs> Put number minus divisor into number. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know you guys were going to embarrass me like that. Thanks, <laughs> uh, uh, angry number. suit. Moving right along. Oh, yes. Limit so. is 100. Counter is zero. Da-na, da-na. All right, so yeah, you guys will have to check this out. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, and then, and so the next thing up that I actually think is really cool, this was something that was introduced back in January in the Edge version of the desktop Docker uh, server, client, whatever you want to call it. Um, but now they have moved Kubernetes into the stable desktop Docker app. So now you have Kubernetes support and abilities in your regular Docker on your system without going to edge. So that's really cool stuff. And don't forget, we're going to be talking about Docker and Kubernetes in our next community talk uh, coming up here pretty soon. Yep. Really good stuff. So with that now, I guess it's time to get into this. So as Joe said, this is kind of just going to be our typical, what we would have used to done with like our cubicle talk, right? So, the one that I wanted to start with, because we've gotten a number of emails from people over the past month or so, maybe even a little bit longer, that are like, hey, I'm just getting started in programming. What should I do? And so I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to kind of share what we think that maybe would help you out the best um, if you're trying to get started, whether you're coming out of college or whether you're switching careers or whatever. So I, I guess I'll get the ball rolling. Like I think to me probably – Outside of choosing the language you want to start with, um, you know, we've mentioned in the past, like look in your area, find out what's hot in your area. You know, if Java is the big thing, go Java. If it's C sharp, go C sharp. JavaScript is always hot everywhere. So that's always a good one to look at. But outside of that kind of stuff, I honestly think one of the things that I've come to realize the more that I've developed over my career, data structures are so important. So I would say after you pick your language, Learn about the data structures in that language. You know, if it's C sharp, your dictionaries, your hash tables, your, you know, your collections, I just everything, man. Like really learn those things because when you go to solve a problem, if you know the types of data structures available to you, a lot of times it'll make that problem a lot easier to solve, right? So, that's instead of trying to cram something into an array because you know that arrays are these list of things that you have, you know, then maybe you'd be a little bit more well informed about the type that you pick. So that that would be my starting point, I think. You guys you guys have anything? 
Yeah, I've ever written code where you're like constantly jumping over hurdles to get the data you need. So it's like every function you're like trying to get my objects dot whatever dot items, and then you're like looping through the array to get the whatever you need out of it. And you're constantly you're like writing little helper functions or whatever to just get the data you need out of it. That's like an example of where you might build or kind of arrange things differently. I, I think the data structures are really important, but also just the shape of your data, like learning how to kind of separate things logically so that things that change together stay together and and I guess vice versa. So I think that's really important. Um, but I, I guess that's kind of advanced, so maybe that's not really good getting started. Yeah, I would just say uh, it kind of goes back to the practice episode, like Code Wars, Katas, things like that. Just like practice, practice, practice. You know, like keep keep working on that that muscle memory, right? Like even if it's even if you might already know those data structures, because you could be like a you know an a graduating, you know, college, you know, CS student or nearly graduating student. Uh, so you might already have a pretty good foundation on some algorithms, data structures, things like that. But, you know, you're trying to get prepared for that, for that job and those job interviews. Right. And, uh, just working on, you know, through practice problems, you know, it's going to help. Oh, I got a, a line I'm going to steal from shop talk. Just build websites. It, that's kind of true. I mean, if you if you want to do the absolute hardest thing possible, <laughs> building a website's right up there because there's so many pieces involved. It, well, we're not talking about HTML, right? We're talking about no, an application. No, I'm talking about HTML. Like build a little uh, HTML website, and it's going to be terrible. You're going to want to add behavior, but I mean, ultimately, like it's hard to find a job that doesn't deal with HTML websites in some form. So. Depending on how you slice it and what you're doing and what frameworks and WordPress and all that could be really different. But knowing that kind of the base, um, kind of how the internet and browsers work, I think it's really important for just about any job you're going to end up with. You know, another thing. I always kind of viewed that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I always kind of viewed it like, I mean, it really depends on what you want to do there, right? Like if you're like more low level, you know, device driver, operating system level, like creating a website feels like it would be beneath you. Like that doesn't seem at the same level. Like you were saying, it would be the hardest thing. And I'm like, ah, is it really? Well, it's, Uh, it's funny. There's a lot of annoying things with building websites, right? Like cross browser compatibility. If you get into CSS, like there's just a lot of really, and I don't know that hard is the term I'd use as much as just frustrating, right? Like you're trying to make our drivers. Yeah. I would imagine like really hard stuff. Um, you know, Going back a little bit to the getting started to thing though, like the QI thing, the QIT thing that Joe and, you know, they've all been doing. It's just an open source project and they get together on calls and they talk about code structure and what they plan on doing and the features and all that. Man, get involved in something like that, right? Because then you'll actually get to see how people are working through problems, right? These pull requests that go in, you'll learn how to use source control. You'll, you'll learn what type of features people are trying to add and then, and then the problems that they run into. And, and they started off with unit testing, right? I think you guys have that in there or no? Yeah. Just started adding a couple of, I've been slacking those. So definitely added it after the fact, which is, a little bit tougher, um, and I've been slow about adding it, but uh, it's been really great just learning what um, like uh, MVP introduced me to the actual testing libraries that we're using. Uh, super good, Dave introduced me to the, the end-to-end testing that we're we're using. So, I mean, I've been learning a ton from this. So, it's really not my project. I've <laughs> done like a minority of the work at this point, and I've just been like kind of hanging on and learning. It's been awesome. 
But that's a great way for people to learn, right? Is to actually get in there and see how people are interacting and the type of code that's being written and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, for sure. And working with uh, other people is really eye opening and just really broadens your perspectives. It's really different from working on your own. Did have you guys ever interviewed like interns or anything? Like this been a while. This yeah, it's been is a long time since I've inter- interviewed anyone. So it like th- one of the things that jumped out at me when I would interview people for internships is and it's fair this this makes total sense they come out of school you know they've been taking programming for 2 3 years whatever and they most of them not not being mean most of them just really didn't know how to write code right you tell them hey uh this is what i want how would you model this right and just what you'd see end up on the board you'd be like wow that really doesn't make sense but i get it because You've been learning about data structures and all that kind of stuff. So if you haven't put it into practice, you know, it's impossible. And so that's why I say the getting started thing is like, like Outlaw said, you know, Kata's Code Wars, that kind of thing. Actually writing code that does something is way different than understanding what code's supposed to do, right? When you actually go down to sit down and write your own different ball game, you can read an entire book and and know what you're trying to do. And then you go to sit down and you'll be back in that book in five seconds, trying to go to the page. Like, where did I see that? You know, I mean, we still do it today. So. Yeah. So that's a, that was my big one. I, I can't think of anything else. I mean, networking is also a big one uh, outside of that, right? Like go to meetups, uh, talk to, if you're in school, talk to your professors, go to the, to the job fairs and all that kind of stuff. If you're trying to switch careers, surround yourself with other programmers, you know, whether it's in something like our coding block Slack channel or meetups. I mean, you go to meetups, there's always recruiters there. A lot of the meetups that I've gone to, you know, the well-organized meetups, they'll usually have a portion of the talk, you know, either at the beginning or the end where they allow recruiters to, or anyone who's like maybe just representing their company looking for, uh, you know, potential hires to list out like what type of job opportunities they have. And if you're, if you want to talk to them, they'll be available after the talk, uh, you know, to, so you can learn more about it. So meetups are a great opportunity to get out there and network and find out what else is going on in your area. Yeah. You'd be amazed at how many people, as, especially in our space programmers, like just try and stay hermits, you know, stay in their house, stay on their keyboards, man talking to people, getting into rooms with other people can really open up opportunities. So, you know, but what if you live really far away? What if you live in Alaska? That's a hard one. What, what then? I mean, do you, like I said, I I think at that point you also get involved in communities online, right? The coding block slack. There's, there's other things as well. Um, GitHub, right. Get, get involved in open source projects. It, it, it is tougher when you're more remote, but I, I'm sure there's ways to find out, right? You might even, heck, you might even post an ad on Craigslist or something uh, and try not to get mugged and be like, hey, anybody interested in getting together and talking about software? So I, I don't know. Be creative, right? That That's the key. But surround yourself with it. Get Start playing with it. If you have a project that's in mind, try and make it, you know, as simple as, simple as it might be. You know, yep. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to tack on that, uh, you know, it's it's hard to find other people. It's awkward and it's weird. It's not easy. But it's never, I like to always say, it's never been easier. Like, we've got this great internet thing out there. You can probably find, like, 10 other Slacks in addition to coding blocks for programming-type communities within, you know, five minutes of searching. So, you can find something that aligns with your interests and just put yourself out there. 
you know, be cool and give it a shot. And, you know, who knows? Yeah, I there is um you made your comment about the uh programmers are hermits or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they try to be. Yeah, and and no one to stay at home and whatnot. I found this I I posted this in the uh the jobs channel of our Slack, but there was this article trending on Reddit uh in the programming uh subreddit about a a job board for only remote developer jobs. And you can go and search for like uh you know whatever language you want, like work from home jobs just in your area. Like it, it's a uh, eastvox.com, E A S T V O X.com. Hmm. And yeah, it's pretty neat. That's awesome. That's really cool. It's pretty that's crazy true. to think that that exists now though. The world is a changing. That's for sure. Oh, I guess the, you know, the last thing I would say is also kind of know what you're interested in. This, this might sound really stupid, right? But I'm sure that people, you know, I said, look in your, look in your area for what types of jobs are out there. Maybe that's not what you need to do. If you want to make video games for iOS, then start there, right? It's, it's a, Know, know what you're going to be passionate about and what kind of things will drive you to completing something, right? Because we've all talked about it. Creating side projects and even trying to get them done or even, you know, staying with them for more than a month is sometimes really hard. So finding something that you're very interested in will help push that ball forward. Yeah, and if you uh, are still having trouble with that, you can always build a website for whatever you like. So if you like <laughs> riding right. bikes, make a bike website. Uh, Find some data, throw it in a database. I don't know. Ask me. Just tweet us or something and say, what should I do for my side project? We'll figure something out. That's a good point. Yeah, we'll tell you what we want built. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's what I have with QIT. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. All right. So let me ask you guys this. Have you ever wondered why arrays start at zero instead of one? I probably have. Probably Uh, have. I I think I know. You think Maybe. you know? I don't think I ever cared enough to look it up, but I've probably had that passing thought like, why isn't this one? So th- this came up, I think it was in like a Dev2 that I found this where there was a Medium article and the, the headline just, the, the title was like clickbait enough for me like, oh yeah, let me click on that. But it was like, why do arrays start with index zero, right? And uh, like you, Alan, I'd never cared. I was whatever. Who cares? <laughs> but then the answer, I was like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. So, okay, first of all, first of all, let's get this out of the way. There are some languages out there where their rays do start at one. Cold fusion. All right. So <laughs> we'll forget those for a moment. All right. All the COBOL programmers are like, hey, wait a minute. We start at one. And yeah, we're not talking about that. No one's proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> But for other languages, let's start like like C-like languages, right? It's an offset. So if you have an int array, then the pointer, the the address of the first element is the same address as the as the beginning of the array. It's the same. Uh. And the second element would be the size of int offset away from that. So it'd be one away from it. Okay, that makes so sense. So it's really fast to, to know if something's at the 16th. That you just take 16, multiply by the size of whatever's stored in there, whether it's a pointer or an integer or whatever, and there you go. There's your, your mem- memory address. So it's a hardware-based 
thing, basically, is what it boils down to. For about true arrays. Addressing, finding the address space. Yeah. Now, some some languages get funky with their, like, what's in their arrays and how their arrays are actually put together. Like, maybe they're actually vectors or linked lists under under the hood, like JavaScript. But uh, in, like, a true kind of C-style language, like, you have to declare the size of the array when you create it. And that's because the size matters and how you jump around and, and add those indexes together it really matters very nice so i just thought that would be like a good like a uh, little reminder because it's probably been a minute <laughs> yeah i haven't thought about that in a long time yeah so then i had this other thought too though uh like you know we talk about code smells a lot right and and i think we've even said it and i, I definitely know i've heard alan mention this recently uh but you know good Oh, 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 good practices in your OO code make for horrible sequel and good sequel practices make for horrible OO code. Right. Yes. Um, so then I got to thinking about like, well, Hey, then is it a code smell? If you have a stored procedure that calls other stored procedures and those might call other stored procedures, is that like a code smell? Because then you're treating your stored procedures like they were functions in you know any kind of other programming language joe <laughs> i just can't i can't say anything about shouting so <laughs> but no it's honestly. so it's so hard to work like in sql server and probably all the others it's really hard to work with like the results that you get out of store procedures so it's really hard to even use store procedures from store procedures and functions are, are not easy to work with because they can't modify data well, so well. Now, outside of that, though, it's it's the whole modularity thing that he's talking about, right? Whether you're in MySQL, SQL Server, Postgres, whatever. It, yeah. Good luck. It, here's the problem. I, I think it is a code smell, and it's so unfortunate, right? Because if if you're trying to make database operations as fast as possible, then it makes sense to duplicate code. In, in a nutshell, that's really what it boils down to, right? If you're trying to go for maintainability, which is this whole a stored proc calling into the stored proc with use of functions and whatever, then that makes sense, but you're going to take a hit, right? Because like a function, depending on how they're used or whatever, that thing might have to be called for every single row that comes back in your result set, which is slow because that's an operation on every one of them. But you wanted to be able to reuse this thing in 20 different places. So do you copy out, out whatever? I mean, the function one, though, I've got a total workaround on how you can get around that, though. Okay. You could just get the results of the function into a temp table and then join on that temp table in your other table. That way you're not recalculating that function over and over. You could do that. So you could take the hit of calculating it at one time. So you still have the function that you can reuse in all your other procs. But, yeah, it just there was, there was some a code base that I was looking into and it was like, you know, one store procedure calls another store procedure. And then that store procedure calls another store procedure. And they're like passing around user defined types all over the place. And, and I'm just like, man, this feels like it's gotta be like, we're treating stored procedures like their functions in any other language, but that kind of feels wrong. Yeah. But I understand the intent. I understand why, like you said, like it's, it's about maintainability, but at the same time, it's like, eh. I mean, that's the big thing, right? Like, and you'll typically see this when developers cross. Like, if you are a, if you're an application developer, you think in terms of objects and things that, that you are going to massage, right? The one item, right? I'm going to modify the Mike object or the Joe object. That's how you think. 
When you go into the database world, you have to think in sets because that's how it is optimized to run. And the problem is, is crossing those two is typically a bad idea because you have a, if you have a SQL statement and, and those tables are indexed a particular way to work that way, well, then you probably need to write your SQL to be that way every single time. When you start cascading that, you, you called that proc because it was going to give you this result set, but then you call another proc to give you another result set, and then you're going to join those there. You probably lost a lot of the efficiencies if you had just gone and joined the tables yourself, right? So it's, Man, it's frustrating, and I hate this answer, but I honestly think that the better – if you're going for performance, it's better not to pass around shared or common code, right? So everything you've learned about clean code from Uncle Bob, oh. throw out, throw it away when you start writing your SQL. That's what I'm hearing. For sure. Yep, absolutely. You'll, you'll just go crazy trying to reconcile those two. I mean, like, have you guys found anywhere where that wasn't the case, where you would have rather seen the functions or, or has it ever not bitten you having an OO type approach in, in your database? No, no, it does never worked out well for me. Okay. And SQL's great. Like, I, I know I tend to pick on SQL. It's fantastic. It's used by like everyone and, you know, forever and will be used forever and ever. But, uh, it's definitely got some downsides when it comes to like maintainability. You know, that's, that's what it is. But I will say though, that brings up another question. I guess it, without going too far off topic here though, we've talked about this in the past. Do you put your logic and whatnot in the database or do you put it in your application? Maybe if you're putting it in your application, you don't have to worry about this stuff as much, right? Like you have some sort of service layer that's helping with that. Maybe. I don't know. It depends on what kind of logic we're talking about there. Like logic can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. It can. So, I mean, if you're if you're putting your logic in store procedures, then you're implying the database is the heart of that application and that ecosystem. And if you're okay with that, then you know you're okay with that. But if you want to start introducing like a search engine or some like other data storage mechanisms, or now you've got different types of databases and you've got like a really big type applica- application or you know ecosystem, then you it's hard to really have one system that's at the heart of it, and so that kind of falls apart. Well, it's not even just the heart at that point. It's your heart and your brain, right? Like it's, it's all of it. It's the entire central nervous organism, right? Yeah. That's, that's so here's where, and this is where some of my thinking goes. So I recently tried to do a little thing to where I was pulling out data and it was joining two massive sets of tape or actually many tables together. And all I was trying to do was pull data out and it took hours because I'm joining millions of records against millions of records against, you know, another hundreds of thousands of records and just trying to get all that stuff together. It, it, it was struggling. Now, granted, you can beef up the hardware, but there's only a certain point that you can do that. Right. And it gets really expensive. So this is where I'm going with the whole application thing. And, and one day I want us to talk about this stuff in depth, but like Kafka streams or any type of map reduce type problem, if you're talking about like Hadoop or something like that. In Kafka streams, what you can do is you can pull in a stream of data from a table. So you're not joining all your tables at once, right? Like you're not trying to join 10 different tables and get that stuff out, which is an expensive operation. 
you get a stream in that contains the table information for one, right? And as data comes in for another one, the streams, you'll have a bunch of little applications running everywhere that puts that data together, mashes it up, and then sends it off to wherever you want it to be, right? So it can actually be faster than hitting your your SQL or your relational database trying to join all that data together because now you have a bunch of little applications that can quickly chew through that stuff, right? So it's it's an interesting concept. I, I just bring that up because if you do it that way, you're actually writing applications in an OO type way using streams as opposed to, you know, trying to modularize your your SQL database or your your relational database type thing. Yeah, I mean you know, hitting on a point that you made a moment ago, one of you guys made about the, um, uh, oh shoot, now I even lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> you hate it when that happens? It's gone. So, Uncle Bob, central nervous system. Uh, no, what was it now? Oh, oh, functions, modularity, maintainability. Something to do with SQL. Indexes? No, it'll come to me. Got nothing. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but I agree. It is a code smell. It's funny. It's a code smell in that you know that performance is going to suffer. But it's the inverse of a code smell because you now have maintainable code in SQL, right? So oh, I remembered it now. It was about the 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 heart of it, the central nervous system, the, the heart of it. Like I'm all for, you know, not keeping that in your database. I like that idea. Because, you know, one thing that we've learned over the years, right, is that you can only scale, like take SQL Server, for example. Let's beat up on SQL Server for a moment. You can only scale that thing, but so big, right? You can only get so much of a server for it before you just can't buy any more hardware, right? You know, because the next version of whatever, you know, faster memory or faster SSD or whatever you need isn't available yet, right? So if you keep that in your application tier, then you can you can spin up more servers, right? So you can scale horizontally instead of vertically, right? So I I like that idea, but yeah, it was just the main thing that the, the main theme behind this though was like at what point at what point do you re- try to recognize that hey I think we're treating this SQL like it was any other language and we gotta we gotta we should put a stop to this like we should recognize this as an anti pattern and stop. I agree with that. But then that begs the question of, well, how are people going to try and fix that, right? Then people are going to start storing their SQL in tables and have it try and create things, right? Like, I Uh, mean. Yeah, I wasn't going that far. Well, no, that's the commonality, right? Like if you, people don't want to duplicate code, right? Like it's almost, even SQL developers don't want to duplicate that code. But a lot of times you have to, to make it performant. So well, okay, this is a great point, though, because it it's – why do we not want to duplicate code? Because it's been ingrained in our head that it's bad. It's been beaten into us over the years that duplicated code is a bad thing. But what Uncle Bob taught us is that there's there's true duplication and then there's accidental duplication, right? And you might copy and paste something in there and make it more performant, and you might think, oh, I'm duplicating code – but it might not be because if it changes for different reasons at different times, then it's not true duplication. But I don't think that's the case in SQL. I, it, what you're saying is absolutely true when we were talking about the O stuff. But I would venture to say that if you're using the same where clause all over the place because that's how you have to filter your data down based off some business rule, 
you are, you're duplicating it, right? To make it fast. You're inlining that code to make your query perform well, right? But maybe, but I'm thinking of the case where like maybe you, maybe you have a block of code where you are, you know, doing some pre-selection of data and you're putting it into like a temp table or whatever or CTE. And, you know, you might be tempted to like put that into some other, you know, uh, store procedure that could return it back or whatever so that you could like quote dedupe it. But it might not be a bad thing if you had that same section of code in a second proc and second store procedure, right? Because then if the first one changed for a different reason and the second one was okay to leave it as is, you know, those are changing for different reasons. But then there's the inverse problem where they were supposed to be the same, but somebody only knew about the first one and changed yeah. it. It, it. It's That's where it gets complicated, right? And it, This is hard. Can we just stop? <laughs> well, to be fair, too, like 99% of applications aren't going to run into like horrible scaling problems with SQL Server or, or whatever SQL database they're using. It's going to be fine for whatever website or whatever small application they're doing. And they're never going to run into these, you know, they're never going to run out of hardware you for the application so? that they're working on. You don't think so, really, though? I would say 99% of applications don't have to go to, like, Google scale. No, I agree with that. But I do think that at some point, like, I've seen it in so many different things I've, I've worked on, is there's there's a breaking point when data reaches a certain level to where it's like, everything was fine yesterday, and today it's not. Yeah, it's hitting the wall. I mean, listen, man, I can write enough bad queries and add enough indexes to any query to make it perform bad enough to where you'll think that you're at Google scale. <laughs> just, just give me five minutes with your query. Uh, I mean, it, that, I guess that's the thing though. Like you're joking about it, but it is true, right? Like, and I'm not talking about like your typical WordPress type site or anything like that where there's a database behind the, the thing, but. I think that a lot of times, especially homegrown applications, they grow to a point to where it's like, wow, this thing performed great and we didn't expect it to be in use a year and a half later. And now the data has grown out of control and, and now my modular SQL doesn't work so well. And now we've got to revisit this and, you know, get rid of the, the modularity and go more performant. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's a great topic. So it makes you yeah, wonder then sure. if you have to pass around user defined types, is that a code smell? Oh, that's, they're no fun to work with. So I'm going to say yes. They're stinky. <laughs> uh, you just got to make those generic user fine types. Key value. I mean, ultimately, I, I think they're a good thing. Like user, I, I don't know what it's like in other um, databases, but I know in SQL Server, uh, it's annoying to work with because of how you have to kind of fill them in and work with them. But ultimately, it's good. Like you add a column and like it lets you know every single place that you have to drop and recreate in order to even work on it. So it's good for maintaining that kind of type safety, which I'm a fan of. Or at least they used to be until I went full on JavaScript. <laughs> All right, so we have we have blank topics for Joe. What's this one? Do you guys listen to the Indicator? It's the podcast from Planet Money. Short little topics. Never economics. Heard of it. Never heard of it. No. Okay. Good. So they play a game called uh, Over Under. Sometimes where they bring on a special guest and they'll ask him about a particular topic or a question, and they'll say, "Is this underrated, overrated, or you know?" Kind of meh. So we're gonna play. We're gonna play over under, and uh, we're we're just gonna go in uh, alphabetical order. Well, no, not quite. We're gonna go Alan, uh, Outlaw, and Joe. 
just to make things easy because I got a bunch of questions here. That's Wait, totally you're going to ask yourself a question? How's that going to work? Well, I, mean, I, I want the answers. Uh, oh, you'll see. It'll be fine. All right. So, yeah, I've trapped you guys. <laughs> All right. So, uh, first topic, remote work. Alan, underrated, overrated, or? Wait, what was it? Just fine. Remote work. Remote work. Yeah. Uh, Is it overrated? Uh, uh, hmm. Just fine. Okay. Uh, Outlaw. Yeah, I'm in the just fine category. Yeah, I think it's about right, too. Uh, what about standing desks? Uh, is So there's just under, over, or just fine? There's not awesome? Uh, no, uh, awesome. So it, awesome would be like, I think it's awesome, and people don't even know how awesome it is. So that would be underrated. That would be underrated. Underrated. Okay. Outlaw. Because I have standing desk envy, I, I guess I have to say underrated. Yeah, I'm going to say under too. I love mine, and I think that it's way better than people think. Agreed. Uh, it's it's going to start getting harder. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I have like... getting sweaty. I have like a ridiculously expensive ergonomic chair, and you know, I spend so much time seated in it that it's still... You know, like I have to get up because it's like, God, my butt hurts. Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, that makes for a good one. Uh, what about fancy chair? Alan, uh, over, under, or fine? Fine. Okay. Outlaw. I guess overrated. You think it's overrated as in like people think it's too good? Oh, well, I mean, like that's why I'm, that's why I'm going with the, the, Wanting the standing desk, right? It's because I have the chair. Oh, okay. You know, I have, I have a Herman Miller. Uh, Arion chair that I sit in and yet, you know, because my doctor was like, yeah, no, you, you have to go out and get an ergonomic chair. Right. And so like after looking around, I was like, okay, well, I guess this is the one I need to get. So, you know, it's a stupid amount of money, but fine, I'll buy it. And now, you know, I still spend so much time seated in it. Then it's like, oh, I'm still in pain. This thing's mm-hmm. overrated. Yep. So, All right. I mean, I Fair love enough. the chair. Don't get me wrong. But What about you, Joe? Uh, I think they're overrated, but that's just because I don't really care much about it. Like I'm not spending 500 bucks or up, but man, I, I will say I got, I got to add a little bit to this. It's not overrated because a quality chair doesn't creak and pop and it'll freaking last a long time. Like there's other benefits to it, right? Like a hundred dollar chair will last you a year and you're going to be tossing it. Right. Oh yeah. So yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't, I don't even know how long I've had this one. Yeah. I've had it forever. Yeah. That's the thing. Like you buy a quality chair. It, that's why I don't want to say they're overrated. I think it's so, any rate. Yeah. I'm not trying to swing your vote, but yeah. All right. All right. But he's trying to swing. I try to swing your vote. Not trying to, but you know, if he happens to, right. well, that's just coincidence. So uh, what about MacBook pros? Oh man. Nowadays, I feel like it's over, and I hate to say that, but I I, I think they're overrated for the, for what do you get? As soon as they, as soon as they, well, I want to say as soon as they introduced the Touch Bar, they were overrated. But honestly, I kind of feel like as soon as they went Retina, it went overrated because like I I still feel like my model MacBook Pro was the last good one where you could upgrade it. Yeah, where you could open up, you could you know change out the memory and the drive if you wanted to. You know, yeah, it's a little bit thicker because it has, you know, you can plug an Ethernet cord into it without a dongle. And yeah, you know, it's got a DVD player. But, you know, I, I love the retinas, but yeah, those touch bar ones especially overrated. Now now they have the i9s that overheat. Well, they fixed it, apparently. 
The, yeah. the software? Software. Yeah. There was yeah. somebody that actually went and did a video and they showed it after the update and it's, it's, it's fast, but yeah. So what about you, Joe? Over, under? Over. Over. Yeah. Three overs. Well. That's sad, man. I know. My, uh, what about programming books? Ooh, programming books. Underrated. Under. Under. Okay. You? I think so too. Okay. So you know what the next question is. Which programming books though, are we talking about? Like, are we talking about like a particular language or are we talking about like some of those, like the clean code series that like span any type of, you know, language or topic? Uh, I meant either one, like up to interpretation. Sounds like we're all on the same page of for the most part. Yeah. They're valuable. Well, cause yeah, I also think of like books, like, 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 you know, books on Git, for example, Git isn't a programming language, but you know, there's books on it, right? Yeah. Yep. And the Angular one book I've got isn't very valuable anymore, <laughs> but, uh, what about online courses? Underrated. Hmm. I'll go with under also. It depends on the price. I'm going to say just fine. Okay. There's so many free ones though. There are. And that's, yeah. that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, video, I, I think is great, but I think it's, I think everyone knows it's great. <laughs> I, I've been uh, a big fan of Coursera here lately going through their catalog. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and just like the f- amount of free stuff that you can get from like legit, like serious, you know, college, college universities that are out there. They're putting this content out there that you can go and like, T- you know, take this class for free and learn it. It's unreal. It's insane. Well, speaking of colleges, well, what about algorithms? Like learning algorithms as a programmer? I think it is. Man, if I was in school, I would be like overrated. I think now that I've been a developer for a while, I'd say it's underrated. Uh, Ella, what do you think? Yeah, I'm somewhere in that. I'm somewhere in that ballpark with you. I'm somewhere between underrated and just fine. Yeah, I'm somewhere between that. So, like, whatever that is, under fine. Like it, like it's just under, under fine. What yeah. about you? Uh, I'm gonna go with fine. I think uh, there's pros and cons. Some people really need them. Some people not so much. And so I'm just gonna say, right down the middle. I like it. What about native apps? Like, if you were to develop a native app, overrated. All right. I'll wait Just for his answer. Fine. Because if it's a game, I ah, just fine. I, I'm going to go just fine. I'm going to say over. Huh. Here's my reason. Unless, okay, let's take games out of the out of the equation because well, I mean, games can kind of come into this equation too. Unless you need a specific you know, some specific subsystem of the device then I think that you can get by with just a web app just fine. Probably. Take out the marketing side of the equation where marketing's like, no, but we want the icon on the phone. That's important real estate to us. So take that part out because that's that's about feelings. And we're not talking about feelings here. This isn't a feelings show. (laughs) But, you know, and if you, and by subsystems on the phone, I mean like if you need access to GPS data or you need, uh, you know, it's hard to even reach because now nowadays you have access to most of that right yeah so i'm trying to think of one but so games might need to actually get to lower level systems because they might want to get to something like uh 
you know, uh, shoot, I keep thinking of core ML, but what's the other one? Uh, GL open GL or no, no, no. On iOS. I'm trying to th- remember the iOS stack, but I can't at the moment, but yeah, that's why I'm thinking like, you know, you, you might need to get to that, um, metal metal is what I'm trying to think of. Um, you know, that you need to, you need to have access to that framework, that library, uh, so in order for your game to perform. So I would include games in that category of you need access to a specific subsystem. And that, and in that case, the subsystem might be the video processor that but you know, so, you're not going to have that in so the browser. Y- you said fine. And Joe, you also said fine. No, I said, I said overrated. Uh, overrated. You said overrated too, right, Joe? Yep. Okay. Nicholas showed me the way uh, I'm fully on board with PWA because I don't want to install another app. Let me just use the internet. Yeah. True that. Uh, relational databases. Uh, just fine. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they're important. They still, they still play a crucial role. I think that in some places they're way overused and other places they probably should have been used. So yeah, they're just fine. A lot. No sequel. <sighs> you didn't know this was going to be a painful episode, huh? Man, like a jacket you guys over the coals. I would say underrated. I, I want to say under. I uh, maybe that's just because my current. Yeah, what we work in. I man, I, I think I'll also go under because I think just a lot of people grew up in the relational world and they don't understand the place for the document world. Fair enough. What about? Wait, no, you didn't answer. What was yours? Oh, I'm I'm fine with it. You're fine. Okay. Yeah. I think it's one of those ones that averages out. Uh, unit testing. Underrated. Under. You? Under. Okay. I mean. Uh, it's hard though. So. Yeah. But I'm that's, tempted to say fine. No, but that's why it's so underrated though. People don't, don't understand the value of it. Like if you take the time to break out your app enough to where you can write unit tests on it up front, you know, like what, what that buys you long term in regards to it not having baked in dependencies and you know the portability that's going to come with that. Yep. Not to mention the maintainability of it and how fast you can iterate on it. Totally underrated. What about Docker? Oh man, that's so hard because I want to say underrated. The hype is high. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The hype is so high. So I'm going to go with fine. I don't think it's overrated. I think it's important. So are we talking Docker or are we talking containers? Same, Docker. same Docker. Uh, I'll, I'll still go fine. Man, yeah, I, I guess I'm in the fine category. <laughs> you, Joe? I'm fine. Okay, I think it averages. I think there's a lot of hype, but I think it's really important and interesting. So, yep. What about TypeScript? Hmm. We're almost done. I think it's underrated. I don't know, though, man. That's the thing that you like about JavaScript is that it is loosey-goosey. Yep. I love it, but I've heard enough people say that they were able to speed up development by 2x because I had type checking and, you know, just the safety built into it. So you took away all the things that made JavaScript awesome to make it work like every other compiled language. Sort of, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it sounds like uh, Outlaw, you're uh, over? 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I am kind of leaning more towards the over, but I am kind of like finding it humorous though. Like as I listen to myself, cause I'm like, man, I'm pretty sure if we go back to like the early episodes, like coding blocks year one, I yeah. was totally like hating on JavaScript and it's loosey goosiness and everything. And, but now it's like, oh, okay, fine. Don't it's take all that away fun. from it. <laughs> yeah. Let it be, man. It never hurt you. What about Joe? What was yours on TypeScript? I think it's fine. I think that, um, you know, possibly a little bit underrated. Like I, I th- I'm glad it's out there. I think that ES6 is really cool. I'm kind of personally more excited about that. So I'm not that excited about TypeScript, but it's kind of nice to have the option to to do some static stuff if you want to. Cool. So whatever. And we're all doing pre-processing nowadays anyway. So why not? Yeah. What about .NET Core? I think it's fine right now. It's got a lot of hype. But I think that's legitimate hype being cross-platform and all that. So I say it's fine. I'm going to say it depends. Like, it could be totally <laughs> oh, no, overrated. You got to pick one. No, man. no, 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 no. <laughs> hear, hear me out. If you don't need it for your particular application, it's totally overrated. I think it's what you're saying. So it's like if you're not a .NET developer or you're not – no. Doing things outside of Windows, it's like outside of Windows would be the thing. Yeah. No, no, I don't even mean that. I don't. I don't even necessarily mean outside of Windows. You could be doing Windows development and just, you know, you're maybe you're working in an older code base or something like that, you know, and you haven't found you haven't run into a need for the things that .NET Core is going to buy you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of portability, for example, that it's going to buy you. Then it's like eh, it's overrated. It's nice. It's awesome. It's cool. I'm not taking any of that away from it. But mm. it's a case by case. This one comes along with my Docker for the ride, though, man. I could put my .NET Core in my Docker and run it on Linux, on Mac, on whatever. If you needed that portability. Everybody but if you needs don't that. need that portability. <laughs> you don't know you need it yet, but you need it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, you're right. <laughs> what about you, Joe? Was yours fine? So I'm going to go with under because of the Docker situation that's kind of evolving. I, I think it uh, it's easier to deal with it there. I think the way we're kind of building things is real cool. I like that I can deploy on Linux and work on my Mac easier. So I'm on board. It actually so makes you're saying sense. underrated. Yeah, he's saying it's underrated. underrated. You know what? I mean, I think it's a huge part of the Microsoft strategy, right? Like when you look at their Azure cloud offerings, like it was initially all Windows type stuff, right? And they quickly started shifting towards containers and Linux and all that kind of stuff. And I think that is why .NET Core is such a big deal to them. So, What about functional programming? Overrated. Over. I got to say over too. Yeah. Like I'm sure there's people out there that are using that and, uh, you know, that it's really important to them, but uh, not to me and not to most programmers I know. So, well, here's my reason for saying over is that like, there's some awesome stuff in them. Uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to take that away. There's not only, I know that there are a lot of developers out there that work in those languages and the languages themselves are elegant and they have so many awesome features about them. But if they were everything that they're hyped up to be, then they would be the norm. I kind of feel right. Is that wrong? Maybe. I mean, that's almost like saying SQL databases or relational databases would have been replaced too, right? I don't know. It, it, it's To me, it's more about the hype of it with, oh, you should be doing functional programming. Why? You know, like, I mean, why? you don't, Haskell isn't on the same level as a JavaScript or yeah. a Java or a C sharp, right? And I'm not trying to take anything away from it. 
Like it's, it's a crazy, awesome, the syntax in it, the features in it are awesome, but it's not there in terms of the same popularity. So why is that? Right. Is it because it's being overhyped? Is it because like functional language is being overhyped? Because if it was everything that was supposed to be, wouldn't everybody have moved to it? Maybe that's just the wrong thinking. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to get some I'm backlash. So, listen, if you don't like that comment, send your emails <laughs> to Joe. <laughs> That's right. That was Joe speaking. No. You can find him on the Slack channel. Did we end the uh, – Did are we at the end of the list or we got some more? We got two more. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't think it would be so long. No, let's yeah, do it. No worries. It's no, fun. No, that's us. We, we like to talk. <laughs> uh, what about machine learning? Ooh. I think – You know I had to go there. I think that one's fine. I think there's a lot of hype, but I think there's a reason for the hype. I think we're going to melt all the polar ice caps for this, but <laughs> I think it's fine. Hmm. I mean, it's definitely, if you go to some trade shows, it seems overrated when like every booth you talk to, you know, they're talking about their machine learning and you're like, all right, whatever. So... I don't know, man. Why'd you have to ask? <laughs> now you hit his soul. <laughs> yep. Oh, he's not going to sleep tonight because he's like, did I answer this one right? <laughs> uh, yeah. There's the right answer, only wrong ones. He still hasn't answered that. I haven't. No. <laughs> Joe, what's yours? Because I kind of want to say underrated because I think that it should be in more places. I think it should be more ubiquitous. It should just be everywhere. Okay. So, so I'm going to go with underrated. All right. You, Joe? Uh, I'm going to say over just because the hype is so high, man. If you listen to like machine learning podcasts, like five minutes in, they're talking about like the singularity and aliens and time travel. <laughs> and so I, I just can't, uh, it's hard for me to stomach when things take such a ginormous leap when I can't get freaking Siri to, you know, call my wife. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, let, let's not hold it to Siri though. That's a bad example. Siri. I was like, ordering a pizza. I'm like, nope, nope. Cancel. Listen, I've already said Siri like three times and my phone still hasn't lit up, nor has my watch. They're all like, I don't care. I said, call uh, my wife. Pizza on the way. <laughs> what? Uh, you go to anyone's house after they get like their uh, Echo Dot or whatever, you know, like within that first week. They're like, oh, check it out. Play Bob Dylan. And it's like, uh, added to laundry list or, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ordering Tide Free. Like, man. <laughs> <laughs> Trying the Tide Pod Challenge. Oh, man. Yeah. That's so true. So I just I, I think it's really useful and I, I agree with both of you guys. I mean I think I'll particularly like I think that it could be used in a lot more places a lot more effectively, but it's just so oversold. Like you'll talk to people that they'll tell you about the machine learning and AI, and then you find out they're doing like you know K means uh, in like one percent of their application, and, and and they branded themselves as uh, you know alien wizards or whatever. Uh, I do think it gets oversold a lot from marketing. It does. Yeah. All right. Okay. One more. You know what it is? No. No, Outlaw, you got a guess? Um, Rockstar programming language. <laughs> what, what kind of cheese nope. would you have in your refrigerator? Yeah, you know, cheese dust comes up all the time. <laughs> Obviously, it'd have to be powdered. The answer is powdered. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I mean, it's got to be blockchain. How can we not talk about blockchain? Uh, I was going to say Bitcoin. Yeah, okay, good. Um, yeah. Blockchain, I think it's so misunderstood. I think that. The, overrated its use cases man uh overrated. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with underrated right now it, no i'm gonna go with just fine i can't i can't say underrated because there's too much hype i'm gonna say it's just fine 
All right. And um, I'm kind of curious here. So uh, Wait, what's yours? Oh, yeah, over. Overrated. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's just I hear it oversold. But it's, I think a lot of it has to do with my echo chamber. Like I almost exclusively talk to programmers. I almost exclusively read like programming websites. And so uh, it's like stamped into my forehead and eyeballs by now. So, right. you know, I'm a little over it, but it doesn't mean it's bad. So who do you think had the most unders, overs, and fines out of the three of us? Oh, man. The most overs is you. Is this like a Cosmo test or something? Like the most overs was you. The most <laughs> unders was Mike. And the most fines was me. All right. Let's see. Uh, this is actually really hard to count up. I wish I had done this uh, <laughs> at the time. Uh, you should have had like a spreadsheet for it or something. Yeah, exactly. So you guys should talk amongst yourselves and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll come back with uh, the, to- the totals you, here. If you had just used machine learning, this would have been done, man. Yeah. And the blockchain would have verified it along the way. And so, you could have written it in a functional language. And it that's right. If you had done functional. It would have been easy. Mm-hmm. No state to worry about. That's right. It would have always been verifiable. You'd have yeah. had impotent well, results. Actually, I think uh, I'm pretty close here, actually. So if we just hang on for – if we just if I just keep talking long enough. <laughs> so um, as for the fines, uh, Alan was number one with eight. And I think I got a total of 17 there. So half of those you said were fine. I said seven. Outlaw only said four. Oh, man. Four Does that say fine. something about my personality then? That I'm like, <laughs> you know, not that optimistic about life and everything. I'm like, everything's down. Or it's uh, everything's way up. Yeah. I'm <laughs> yep. either high or low. The peaks and the valleys. I'm bipolar. All right. <laughs> and for uh, for unders, uh, let me count mine. Okay. So, um Alan and Alan, you're actually tied. Both of you said seven things were un- underrated. Okay. Yep. I mean, so now I could okay. just do math here. What was yours for the unders? Four. Oh. Yep. And the overs were him by a long shot. Yeah, the, the overs were me. Uh, I, no, no. Not true. <laughs> so the overrateds, uh, me and Outlaw were tied. Both said eight. Huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so Alan, uh, or Alan, rather, you were lowest low man on total player. So none of us ever got below four on any of these. But it is interesting to see that um, we had um, a clear winner. Like Alan thought the most stuff was fine. Uh, you guys were tied on underrated, and Alan and I were tired, uh, tied on overrated. Uh, so I walked the middle line. That's kind of where I stay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. So I am totally bipolar. Yes, I, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Go see a doctor about that. Thanks, Joe. Oh, yep. man. I ain't no one's being diagnosed on the show. Yeah, you don't have any weak opinions. They're all strong. They are. They are. <laughs> so is that most developers, though? That That is yeah, most yeah. developers. So it's that time of the show where we're going to ask you, please, if you haven't already, do go leave us a review. As mentioned, we do read them. We appreciate the time, the feedback, and it, it is awesome to, to hear you folks share, you know, how it's helping you or, or, you know, getting you energized or whatever. So please do. If you find the time you're sitting around, you know, tapping away on your phone, reading your Google news, you know, and you think of us head to codingblocks.net slash review and drop us a few words. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah. And we've asked this before too. uh, spread the word, tell it, share a friend, share it with a friend, tell a friend about the show. Um, you know, if you think that they might be interested, if they listen to podcasts and you think that, uh, you know, they enjoy listening to programming podcasts, you know, let us, let them know. And with that, let's head into my favorite portion of the show, 
Survey says. We got. We just did a survey. We got to get you to work on the Steve Harvey voice now. Oh, the Steve Harvey voice. Yeah, we got to get that going. Okay. I guess, I guess that's my homework for the next couple of weeks: is watch a lot of Steve Harvey Family Feud. Oh man, that's amazing. All right. Sorry. I guess it's just like the era of like when you grew up watching whatever you watched, it right? Is. So yeah, yeah. All right. So last episode we asked, "What is your most productive time of day?" And your choices were morning, got to get my work done before the rest of the office gets in. Or midday, let everyone else go to lunch. I'm getting this commit merged. Or evening, I'll let the traffic die down while I close one more ticket. And lastly, night, now that all the meetings are over, I can finally start my day. So, Joe, we'll start with you. What do you think... The listeners picked morning 26%. Morning at 26%. And he sounded confident. He wasted no time with that, Alan. You know what's funny is I'm going to go morning also Uh-oh. at 27%. Oh, you're not going to $1 it? Okay. No, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go one over. But honestly, for me, it's night. But I think most people try and get a jump on it. So night for you. What about you, Joe? You're a morning person, Joe, aren't you? Yeah, yeah morning person. That's why you said morning. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm with both of you. I agree with Joe that morning is totally the time where I can be the most productive. Like you, you know, you're well rested, you're fresh and everything, but I'm a night owl by nature, so like it's hard for me to get up in that morning to do that. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like torn. This goes back to my bipolarness. <laughs> uh well, Alan wins. Sweet. Morning, 57%. Wow. Whoa. Nice. Okay. 57% of the vote. By far and away, the number one pick. Night was number two, wasn't it? Uh, No. Really? No. It was evening. But they were, you know, they were really close. Okay. Yeah. They were like, you know, a percentage point away from each other. I remember going into an office. I would actually try and show up before everybody else so I could get work done. Like, that was... Yeah, but don't you feel like a sleaze bag leaving before everybody else? Like, even if you know you're good, you just... Did we ever? No, I'd still stayed until everybody else was gone, right? Like, that's that was yeah. the problem with being the early bird, too, is it was like I was the late bird, the early bird. Yeah. Yeah. No, see, that was, that was another reason why I didn't want to be the early bird. Like, early in my career, I, w- I had no problems coming in, you know, like, being like the late kind of morning person to come in because I knew I was going to stay late. And it was like, well, why would I bother to come in early if I know I'm going to stay late? So... Yeah, lose my whole day. But even though, like, I knew that mentally I was more refreshed in the morning, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, for this survey, and we give away a lot of books. So, we're going to ask, what's your favorite book type? Hardcover, because I want to protect my investment. Or paperback. I like to curl the cover back with one hand while I read it. Or ebook, it's the only chance I won't lose it. Or books, I ain't reading no books. I love the, it's the only chance I won't lose it. <laughs> it's so true though, right? It is. Because you know that Amazon's got that backed up for you. You don't have to worry about it. I, I can't I, I can't say what mine would be because I feel like I'd be swaying the vote. Yeah, you can't do but that. But I'll do it next time. Yeah. And this episode is sponsored by Airbrake.io. When your website experiences an error, Airbrake alerts you in real time and gives you all the details you need to fix the bug fast. 
And I love that I can see all those details in one spot. I think I've got four apps hooked up now, so I can just log into the website and see everything right there, and I can drill into the apps as needed. And uh, the really, I should say, the, the spot that I mainly monitor my apps from is just my email because they send me notifications when errors first occur, and they also send a really nice daily digest email that sums everything up. So I'm not getting overloaded with information. It's just really convenient. Right now, Coding Blocks listeners can try Airbrake free for 30 days, plus get 50% off the first three months on the startup plan. To get started, visit airbrake.io slash codingblocks. That's airbrake, A-I-R-B-R-A-K-E dot I-O slash codingblocks. All right, so into the next part here again. So my second thing was we've talked about a lot of patterns on this show over time. We've described them, gone gone into detail, whether it was good or bad, (laughs) and, and gone over a bunch of patterns. And one of the things I've noticed and this came up with caching specifically that I saw is a lot of times that would be very localized to pieces of code. And so if you saw that you're updating somewhere, you would update the cache right there. And then nothing else would be aware of that particular data. So it would go somewhere else to get that data. And, and so you would have these caches that were out of sync, right? The same data in two different places were referencing you know, one was referencing a cached version. The other one was, you know, going to the database or something and it had been updated. It just, it always got out of sync. And, and it's not just caching, but anything like that to where you're, you're using the same type of data all throughout your application, but there's only little places where you do certain things to them, like a cache or something like that. I think it's important to remember the patterns that exist. So, for instance, one of the ones that we talked about was the uh, pub sub, right? The publish subscribe. When I look at that, I look and I say, well, there's got to be a better pattern, right? Instead of having all the cash happen in, say, like a controller or something, there should be a higher order type place where the caching takes place so that if you change the data somewhere, fire an event off, that gets caught by an event bus or some sort of event event actioning system that gets floated up. And now, whether it's a repository or what, knows that, hey, there's something that just changed. Refresh, push that into the cache, right? And then that way, every place in your code doesn't have to know about it. There's a more centralized place that, that is handling that kind of thing. And, and I've just seen that. I've seen, uh, I've seen like sprawl of code like that where, you know, it started off pretty small and, and it wasn't that bad. But then over time, as more people start adopting those caching mechanisms or, or whatever it might be, then you start having these little bits of, you start finding these bugs all over the place because, wait, it says this over here, but over here it's different. And it's because, oh, well, they didn't implement the same cache or they did the cache a little bit different or it's not using the same key or whatever it might be. And so when you start seeing situations like that, it goes back to the whole code smell thing is, okay, how can we put in something that will, that will centralize this or, or give us a way to have have better insights as to what's going on. So just curious what you guys thought about that. Have I told you guys about my caching strategy? No, don't do it. Don't be the one to do it. (laughs) Uh, It's probably pretty good. Well, give it to Ola. I mean, give it to somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I mean, it's definitely interesting. You know, I've written, I've, I've been tasked with writing a couple caching, uh, abstractions before. And it's not, it's, it's no fun task because like you kind of get blamed for everything. (laughs) You (laughs) You do. It's always your fault when it, when it doesn't work. So it's, it's like, yeah, kind of like what Joe said is like, you don't want to be the guy that has to do it. Well, somebody always wants it to be done differently. It's always like just kind of messy when it comes to things that kind of overlap and uh, yeah. Well, and you can't help the, you know, I mean, you know, you were talking about like the keys and, you know, someone might be using the wrong key and it's like, yeah, you you know, you, you can't, there's only but so much you can do to protect the, you know, the end user from themselves. And in this case, the end user is another developer, but you know, there's only but so much you can do to protect them from themselves. And that's why it's, it's weird because I think this actually goes to better overall system design. And it's something you don't typically find out at the beginning of a project, right? It's something you find out as a project goes on is, Oh, wait a second. We've got this user object and this, and wait a second. They've got a different user object. They should probably be the same user object, right? Like whatever they're trying to do with it, they should probably be using the same thing. And so it kind of goes back to proper design saying, okay, now we have a user object that everybody should use. And if properties change on that, there should be some sort of event fires off and then something knows to go update a cache or whatever. And I think it just goes to a bunch of disconnected silos of code is where you typically see this problem. And you only find out about that as time goes on and you start seeing these problems, right? Or maybe it's just a pattern of like, if you had, this might be the wrong word for it, but maybe if you had like a repository in front of it as to how you would even get that that user object, then that repository would know whether or not it wanted to cache something. And if a cha- if the property changed, it needed to add it or update the cache with the new value or whatever, right? Um, but you know, by not having that repository you know, abstraction layer in between it then yeah, you could have some places where it's like, oh, I'm just going to go and directly get it. And other places where it's like, uh, no, I'm going to try to get it from the cache, right? And so there's that disconnect there. Yep, and that's what I'm talking about with the 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 design is just over time, if you've got a bunch of people working on it, or you know, it doesn't even have to be a bunch of people, but one person's doing it differently than another, you have this disconnect. And, and that's when you almost have to take a step back and start drawing some boxes and say, hey, you know, how how is this thing being used and where is it being used so that we can start identifying these problems and get these bugs out of the system? It kind of makes me wonder. Oh, go ahead, Joe. You were going to say something. No, oh, no, no. Yours is better. Uh, <laughs> Nobody said a word yet. Well, I was going to, sh- I was kind of shifting the topic. That's why I was going to let you go speak on the caching thing. But it was, you know, it's kind of thinking like, cause I've had this thought too. Like, is it better to have, a, a team of people, like regardless of what your size your team is, where everybody's working on the same thing and they're like all hands are in the same code base or is it better to where you, you split it up to where everybody has small pieces of the overall thing that they're responsible for and then that way they can know their one piece of the puzzle extremely well and they can, they can, have an opportunity to refine it because where I'm kind of coming from with this is that it feels like my experience has been in the world where everybody has their hands and everything, then everyone is treated as interchangeable and therefore 
you don't really get the opportunities to specialize. Well, specialize is one word for it, but I was going to say like refine an area, like, you know, to keep refactoring and, and cleaning up an area because, um, you know, as new features come in, because before you know it, you're tasked with moving on to something else and someone else is brought in after you to work on that area. And they might not have known like the things that you wanted to address and, you know, eventually, or I don't know, I, I, I struggle with like, what is the right answer there? Like your thought, I was like the two pizza rule. Have you heard you, that one? Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it starts with pizzas. So <laughs> yeah. Are they the meat lovers? No, I guess it's the Amazon thing. It's basically like try, trying to have teams that uh, don't exceed two pizzas, which for me is like three people <laughs> and very large pizzas. Oh, that's uh-huh. interesting. But yeah, just the idea of like keeping teams smaller right, and uh, not exceeding too many people, but just because uh, it gets kind of the communication overhead is rough and it doesn't give people the same kind of level of ownership. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, I met a developer from Spotify at... Uh, I don't even remember which conference it was now. And, um, yeah, I mean, he was, he was talking about the way their teams were structured. And if I remember it correctly, it was definitely very like, you know, you might've had like a, like maybe a half dozen people total on the team, but every person on that team had a very specialized part of the overall puzzle. So they, they would, you know, work on that, that, that handful of people would be responsible for delivering like one feature. Like, let's say if it was like, you know, add content, right. Uh, inside of the application. And, you know, that, that was what they did. But, you know, one of the people on that team might be more about the, the graphics for it. Another person might be for the JavaScript part of it, you know, things like that. Like it was, it was very, you're still kind of specialized. I have no good answer for this. I think, I think that I like the pizza thing. I never heard of that, but I do like it. If you have a few people working on something, then it makes it, it makes it easier to manage, like you said. Communication doesn't scale. Communication is probably the hardest thing there is, right? Um, I like that. It, the man, as a full stack developer, though, it kills me. Like if somebody says you're working on the UI and you're the UI only, I'm gonna be like, uh, it doesn't have to be like that, though. No, it I doesn't. never said you had to work in one technology. Just like the area that you're working in could just be a feature. Yeah, right? it could be, but then then you're almost the one guy, right? Like if you're working in one area and and you're not just in a particular stack, which which correct, you could be you could be going across the stacks, but but then you're not really working with anybody on something. You know what I mean? Then then it's more like you're doing it. And, and that's Soloed. Yeah, it's it's more solo type stuff. So it, it's it's a tough one, man. Like I do like the idea of a few people owning an area because then you can refine the patterns. You can refine the design. You can refine the code. You can do all that kind of stuff. And what I like about that more than anything is it might be that you picked up something good from, from each other, right? You found some patterns that worked and now you go replicate that in other areas that you, that you work on. And it might be that you're working together in another area or it might be that you're working with somebody else. But you start getting good patterns going around, right? It, it, man, it's so hard because then the flip side to that is working on a small feature is 
depending on how big your application is, this almost goes back to the whole caching problem that, that I even brought up here is you're not aware of how they're caching things over there. And so you have the same type object or same need, but you're not aware of their cache. And so you're getting data differently than what they were. And, and, and this but is where it's hard. I'm okay with that though, because going back to the, but it's know, a bug in your app. And no, I wouldn't necessarily call it a bug. No, in it, this case, let's say it was though. Let's case, in this case, let's say that you're over on one screen, you see one thing, you come to another screen where you're using the same data, but theirs was cached and yours isn't. It is a bug now. Okay. So, but where I'm going with this though is from the point of view of like, Going back to Uncle Bob's, uh, you know, accidental versus true duplication, right? Like, just because one feature team writes something and, and the second feature team duplicates that same code, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to, it's actually true duplication. Yeah, they might fine with change that. for different reasons. Fine with that. But I'm sticking with the caching thing where, where. Yeah, you're stuck on cash. There, well, well, this is the problem. How do we flush that cash? This that this was the whole thing that was kind of driving me nuts is that, you know, because people aren't aware of how it was done, because it was done in a very localized spot. It wasn't done. But I done- think in your example, though, you would, once that bug is found, then it kind of highlights the problem. And now it's known like, oh, hey, Team A, why aren't you doing this? And Team B is like, oh, because we're doing it like, you know, that that's when the two teams talk, figure like, oh, yeah, we found this. But do you figure out a solution or does team B just say, oh, okay, well, we need to cache it like this over here or something? You know, it, that's that's what I'm getting at is a lot of times you'll see things done in a very localized piece of code as opposed to saying, wait a second, this needs to be brought up a level because this should be handled by something else. This shouldn't be done down here in the weeds, this should be handled by something that that knows about cash or knows about data access or something like that. I mean, kind of the takeaway I'm getting from this though is like, like maybe the where you're saying the teams should be drawn is like, or like you know where the the lines are drawn for like who's responsible, where the responsibilities lie is like, you know maybe the team is responsible for like have the smaller team that's responsible for this over reaching feature right so like if cash is is something that's needed across you know across all it's a cross-cutting concern across all of the parts of the application and there's the one group that's like hey you know we maintain that and that's what that's that's our thing we we're cash money and you know we're the cash money brothers and that's what we do now would you say that um caching is easier if you've got like a strong consistent api like a, say like a firm rest api i don't know that the api matters uh well maybe if it goes back to like when i mentioned the repository pattern in front of it the the pattern you know, in, that's what I was in that case yes. that is the api the pattern backing it i think is, is and so that could be like another cross-cutting concern team right is the data access layer team like how data is read or written to whatever your storage mechanism is and that team could say like oh hey we're going to cache these things okay Yes. Yeah. But you're still not on board with like the smaller teams more siloed and focused on particular areas. No, I actually like it. Uh, I I do like that Um, because that's actually my biggest complaint. Like what you said is typically when people are just moving all over the place, there are no patterns established. 
Because it's literally, okay, I'm in here. Uh, You're almost like a task force at that point, right? (laughs) You're on a special ops mission. Your mission was going and get somebody to get out. That's what you did. You're gone. You're never looking back. You're done, right? Whereas if you are camped out somewhere for a little while, you're going to, you're going to tidy up. And, And I think that's important. And I really like that. I think trying to hit the balance for people that want to do that kind of stuff versus people that like to just be the ones that go and do other things. But I don't know, man. That one's, I like the small teams in a nutshell. I like the small teams focusing on small parts of, of a product. I think that it, it overall will make the product better. Like uh, Uncle Bob said, um, organize your code into layers, horizontal layers, and then you can kind of adjust your team as needed, however you like. That's yeah, pretty good arguments for that. If you remember, I don't remember exactly where they were anymore. I don't either. But yeah, I, I'm gonna have to go back and read that. Again. It seems like too. <laughs> like I if remember you want to be around feature, if you want to be vertical, that's fine. Just keep the code in horizontal slices. Keep it the same. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like I remember hearing something too about like the teams would get would start to match. However, the code was done. Does that sound familiar? It's, oh yeah, it's like the code would um, grow to um, kind of mirror the organization of the company, and yeah, vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So I'm going to change topics on you guys. Do you guys, do you remember Napster? Everybody remembers yes. Napster, right? Those are the best of times. Everybody remembers the age of the internet. Metallica, the versus, <laughs> Metallica versus Napster, right? Does oh, man. AIM, that? Napster, and StarCraft. Like, take me home, please. AIM. Yes. So, so I wrote this, like, you know, in the, uh, theme of you know that that era of napster versus metallica or metallica versus napster so napster good cobalt bad right yeah. <laughs> so there was this uh interesting article and i don't remember where i uh where i found this but i'll, I'll have a link to it but what was your first programming language that you that you started writing in let's start with alan first since you did you since joe did the survey first it was on a handheld TRS-80 Basic. Basic was your first language. Basic. Okay. Joe? Logo. Logo. Okay. Never heard of it. If you, if you want to count, it was a little turtle. Oh. It was what? Say it again. A little turtle. It was on an Atari. Like, an old Atari, right? I don't know about Atari, but uh, I had a, like one of my like classes had a, like a, it was like logo, so like a little triangle and you would say like, write 10 and it would move 10. Yes. And draw and you could say pin up or pin down. And eventually you get into like looping and I think even recursion. So you could draw some pretty cool patterns. So I love just playing with that and trying to like draw cool stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Um, oh, like- and then they came out with Lego logo a few years after that, where you basically um, plug this like really obnoxiously big cable into like a little Lego motor and you would still the turtle things so would be like turn left and the motor would kind of like try to turn it left and you would use the same basic logo commands. Very cool. Sounds like scratch. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen scratch. Uh, okay. So for me, it was, um, Pascal. Like that, that was my first. So it turns out like it matters what your first programming language is, uh, at least according to this article in some of the research in this article. So basically the idea here though, is that, um, the language that you start with, right? The paradigms, the idioms, whatever, you know, of that first language, they're going to dictate about how you think about everything else. All the data structures you're going to think about, 
all the algorithms you're going to think about. I mean, honestly, Alan, listen to what Joe just said. Now we understand why he's always writing games, right? <laughs> it's true. Because his first experience was with the game, That's right? That's true. So it makes sense, right? And so basically, you know, there was, we've made this quote before where it's like, you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And so if the language that you know is, that you know and you know well is Perl, then everything that's going to come to you, you're going to be like, oh, well, I'll just write that in Perl. You want an e-commerce oh. site? I'll write that in Perl. <laughs> right? You heard his reaction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so, like, you know, I joked with, like, you know, Napster, good, COBOL, bad. Because, you know, in this article, they were talking about, like, how um, Dijkstra was was anti-COBOL, right? That <laughs> there is a quote in here that said, uh, he says, the tools we use have a profound and devious influence on our thinking habits and therefore our thinking abilities. The use of COBOL cripples the mind. Its teachings, its teaching should therefore be regarded as a criminal offense. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you're saying. It's kind of like you can imagine like an art school trying to like teach students with like crayons or some other tool that's just not very good. And like, how are they going to get to those like the place where they need to be if the tools that they kind of grow up with are not suited? Now, here's where it's about to get hilarious. This is where it's going to take a hilarious turn. You ready? Dijkstra goes on to say, it is practically impossible to teach good programming to students that have had any prior exposure to basic. Ouch. As potential yeah. programmers, they are mentally mutilated beyond hope of regeneration. <laughs> The, the, the hurts. That's so funny that you said basic. Yeah. I couldn't have set oh, that man. up any that better. Brutal. That hurts. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, you can understand it, though. It kind of, like, let, let's flip this around, right? So, if you started off in a strongly, in a, and we've even mentioned this before. Like, you know, I joked around, like, you know, earlier in this episode about JavaScript and, you know, my thoughts on it, you know, back in coding blocks year one, right? And even during coding blocks year one, when we would talk about things like JavaScript versus something like a C, I think I had mentioned then it was like, well, because I grew up in this like strongly typed, you know, language type of environment that that's, that's my preference. I like that. Versus if you grew up in a in a Lucy kind of Python or JavaScript kind of world, you're like, yeah, this is cool, man. Like, you know, JavaScript, like, you know, uh, like take, take C plus plus for example, right? Like, and you try to, you know, reference a property on that object and the compiler is like, nope, this is wrong. This is wrong. Stop right now. You know, and where Python's like, okay, yeah, I know this is probably okay. And then at runtime, Python's like, whoa, wait, no, this is wrong. And you know, JavaScript's like, you know, you write the code and it's like, oh, that property might be there. And then at runtime, it's like, eh, it wasn't, but it's okay. We'll move on, right? Like JavaScript yeah. could care less, right? So well, if you if you come from that kind of C world, for example, and then you look at something like Perl, uh, you know, you're like, what? What is all of this? What is this stuff, right? Like dollar underbar, what are you doing? Like why? How did that magically appear? What? How did that yeah. suddenly get a value? Right? Like what is that doing? You know, weird things like that. That's what I'm saying. I'm mentally crazy. Imagine uh, like a Perl programmer like, looking at something on Java for the first time and be like, public static void, what? Right. Import what? Throws? Why do I got to throw all these things? Right. Right. 
But uh, it kind of goes in line with what a couple I saw in a couple books. Like one thing is that like what you do matters. Like your habits matter. So if you build up habits, you know, with those crayons or with that those languages that uh, don't have the kind of precision or whatever that aren't as professional, we'll say, or aren't as uh, strict as some static languages, then those patterns that you build come out when you're working on other things and focusing on bigger problems. Like those things slip out. And so that can be bad. But the good news is that, you know, you're a human with a brain that's like super good at adapting to new situations. And so you can kind of retrain those parts of you and just work on the things that you want to improve. And you're really good at that. Like we're designed for that. So there's hope. True. So do you think that being a, a polyglot fixes this? That's a good question. I remember when I first learned Ruby after working in like Java and Cold Fusion for a long time and a little bit of JavaScript and like seeing how they did things and how they solved problems. And a lot of the tools were available in languages as I was used to, but seeing it being so common, just the, the different kind of patterns, like it really kind of changed how I, I thought about programming. I feel like it was a really good influence on me. So I think that being a polyglot is a good thing. I think it does fix it. Just, just for what he said, you see the other patterns, right? Things start to make sense. Like, oh, this is a better way to do it. It, it. The whole functional thing being overblown. I think there's value in learning functional programming to pick up the patterns, right? And to see that kind of stuff. And so I think the, the polyglot side of this does help you become better at all of them, right? Like you don't approach everything as, Hey, here's my hammer. Right? I, I think it helps you to think differently. I think the downside is like if you're always looking at new languages, you never go too deep in one, then potentially your code could be really inconsistent and kind of influenced by whatever you're reading at the time. Yeah, true too. I'm willing to take that. What about you on the polyglot? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of curious because, I, th- you know, ultimately the whole article or this, at least this portion of the article was about like, you know, whatever your first one is, man, that that's what's going to lay the foundation for everything else, right? And so, in which case, it's kind of a loaded question. Can being a polyglot fix this? No, it can't possibly fix that because you can't learn multiple languages at one time. Hmm. So, if you're truly influenced by the first one you learn, then that influence is there. Like, you know, there's a, <clears throat> it's that old expression about you only get uh, one chance to make a first impression. Yeah. Right. So then it can't possibly fix that. I like what you're saying about, you know, the other patterns and whatnot. But at the same time, I'm thinking like, well, it kind of depends. What's that next language? Because if that next language is too much, too similar to the other one, then you didn't really change anything. If you went from a C++ to a C sharp to a Java, like, eh, I mean, those are all like really close in the same wheelhouse. Like the same kind of concepts and things apply there. There's not a whole lot of difference there. Right. I mean, it's funny, like, I'd say all three of us are probably pretty true polyglots in this regard, because, I mean, even just thinking about in, you know, over the years, so I started with basic when I was a kid, and then my next, I guess, real one was probably C++, and then after that, I think I was in Cold Fusion, and then I went to C Sharp and done some Java. So, like, literally, you're talking pretty opposite ends of the spectrum on all those things. And then you got things like SQL that's not a programming language, but is, you know, it's it's a querying language. So, I, I mean, when you think about that, that is a lot of brain massaging there to get those – because they're all very different, right? Like, super different. So, I – I don't know, man. Like, uh, 
I do think being a polyglot fixes it. And no, if you're only spending, you know, a day in each one of them, no, that's not going to work. But if you spend any significant amount of time in them, you start to see the things that work and don't across those different, you know, programming paradigms. So learn one new language a year. Some people do that, right? Like that was one of your goals at one point was to pick up a new language each year, which I think is yep. crazy, but um, yeah, I, I didn't keep up with it very well, but it is cool. Like, I, I mean, even I played with Ruby for a little while and it was pretty neat, right? Like it, it felt a little bit JavaScripty, but on the same time, like they'd done some really nice stuff, like with some of their syntax was just awesome. So, yep. you know, I don't know. I don't think you're screwed with the first one that you picked. I don't think so. I mean, Ruby Ruby kind of seems like Python, Ruby, they kind of seem kind of similar. I've never done any Python. Maybe like Go kind of seems similar to like a C. But like, you know, if you really wanted to get to something like mind-melting, then like, you know, go from, uh, you know, C Sharp to Haskell. Right. For example, like those are totally opposite ends of the spectrum, right? And so maybe like if that's where if you started, if your first language was Haskell, <laughs> you're done, right? <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying you're done, but no. what I'm saying is like it's totally going to you know that's your first impression, right? Of how all code should be from then on, yep, right? And so yeah, that that's what you're going to expect. Readability. I remember going from playing with Visual Basic and going into C, C Sharp, maybe? I don't remember. But thinking, why would anybody do things so differently, right? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Dim variable as? What is that? Why not just var? Or why not just string? Or I mean, yeah, it, it is funny, but yeah, you get into the functional things and, and it I is like my mouth. Dim variables. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh man. So yeah, I, I think I think we've been fixed of it. Whatever we started with, I think we've we've all landed in a halfway decent spot. So I, I don't think it was the worst thing ever. I like it. All right, so I guess uh, I'm up again, and um, I've got another weirdo one because I can't just be normal right i gotta always like find the rules and then figure out how to make them weird so uh, i'm interested in your short term midterm and long term bets on uh programming technology like what do you think like if you if you had like dollars programming dollars to invest in the programming in like stock market and you could put like your money into uh, I don't know mobile apps or cloud or JavaScript or React or whatever you know so be creative with it but you got to you get to invest in into three short one for short term so one that you think is going to give you the most return in one year a midterm the one that's going to give you the most return in five years and one long term which is going to be we'll say twenty years so I have to invest some kind of money in a technology. Yeah, and don't worry about the amount. It's just uh, if you kind of had like imagine you're in Vegas and you're betting on what's going to be more popular one year from now. All right, I'll kick us off. Short term, I'm going to go JavaScript. Okay, and you're going to go on broad JavaScript. Yeah, just in general. Like it's okay. it's the language that everything's adopting, tooling's being built around, all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. Midterm, should we? I'll, I'll do my three. Midterm, okay. We'll go um, cloud. 
because cloud, regardless, AWS, Azure, Google, whatever, pick your, pick your, pick your cloud of choice. Yep. That's, that's just getting bigger and bigger. Long term, I'm going to go AI. Okay. Because you look at things like, uh, what I think MIT, didn't they just do another one of those dog things? Like apparently that thing's gotten even smarter. So. Yep. Yeah, I think I think long term we want people to think we want robots and machines to think for us. We don't want to have to think. So I think mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen. We're all going to be super fat sitting down eating chips while our surrogates are out doing things for us. Wally. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So th- those are my investments. I like it. Uh, hmm. I mean, I definitely think that Python would be in there. Just because, like, uh, like other articles that I've seen, it's like one of the more in in demand languages out there. Um, so I, I, I think I, I'm going to bet against you on. Is JavaScript. that your short term though? Is that your short term, uh, or your mid term, or your long term? Yeah, I, ah, shoot, I don't know because I like the other answers you gave. Um, you know, but I kind of I was like, yeah, I. I don't want to copy them, but I was kind of like, well, I don't know. Cloud would probably be like long term because that's going to be here forever. I think that's a long term play. Uh, so, but I don't, I don't know what my other two technologies would be though that I would, I would bet on. You could just say Python, Python, Python. Well, no. I mean, originally I was thinking like, well, blockchain should probably be somewhere in that though. That would probably be like, maybe it'd be like, Python short term, blockchain middle, and cloud long term. Or would you say, okay, now blockchain, would you say digital currencies? Is that going to be the big thing, right? Like there, there's a bunch of different things we could go with. No, not, not digital currencies. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of digital currencies when I was Just thinking blockchain. blockchain. Yeah. You could have said wearables. And I also think that Tesla has to be mentioned somewhere in that too. <laughs> oh, did you say wearables? <laughs> like wearables, like, um, you know, actualized self or quantified self or, uh, uh yeah no I th- I Internet think we're over that I think we're over that I think like the whole phone thing we're done with like I don't think that's anything exciting about I think I think phone wise technology wise like you know because phones are kind of like close to wearables because we keep them attached to our head all the time uh I think the next thing we're really waiting for there is like the the reinvention of the flip phone. Like we're waiting for the flip phone to come back as a smartphone. I think that's that's the next big thing that we're waiting for there that hasn't happened, but yet there's always like rumors about like, oh, here's the next Apple iPhone. It's gonna yep. be fold. Uh, no cyborg implants, nobody's going for that bit. The the you know, the only thing that, that might make me change my mind on the long term would be something in the medical field regarding technology like uh oh, are we going like all out? I, yeah, I don't know about twenty years. What's twenty years? Yeah, like I don't know about treatments oh. or maybe just genetics, right? Like it's it's probably not far from it to where they're gonna be like, oh, well, we see these markers, and that means that you're more uh, prone to cancer or whatever. And so, you know, either we're gonna we're going to treat you different, or you're gonna be on certain diets, or what? I don't know, like. That's the other thing, the other side of things where I think that further down the line, if I was going to put my money on something and it wasn't AI, it would probably be somewhere in the medical field. What was, what was the year thing again? Like what was the definitions for short versus One, mid? five, and 10. One, five, oh, and sorry, 10. one, five, and 20. One, five, and 20? Yep. Like 
within 20 years, I mean, self-driving cars are going to be here. Yeah. That's definitely that's that, That's supposed to be by 2022. So you're in five years. That could years. totally upset the economy. That would be a... That would know, be game big changer. Deal. Big deal. Like imagine if, imagine if you lived in New York City, right? All the yellow cabs, if they just suddenly became self-driving cars, right? right? That's a whole industry gone. Well, workforce. Right. Yeah. Workforce. Yeah. Still the same yeah, need, but the, you know, long haul trucking. Yeah. That's, but you, know, but you know what's funny though? I've read articles on this before. You know, they always talk about when they automate things that, that people worry about, oh, I'm going to lose my job, but it creates more jobs in other areas, right? There's going to have to be people yeah, that maintain these things. So, so I mean, there's, there's other things that happen. So, uh, but it's but, been like that throughout history though. Right. Exactly. Right? So the self-driving car is an interesting one too, dude. I, oh man, I would kill for like Jetson type cars, right? Like give me, give me Skyways. That would be right. amazing, but yep. that's not going to happen. Going. We know some people working on self-driving cars in the, in the Slack. So, I mean, it's like, it's happening. This is real. Yeah. So is that, is that your bet for 20 years? Self-driving cars? I mean, it's probably the best thing I've said so far. Yeah, I All guess. Right. Okay. All right. So what's your three, Joe? In one year, my bet is on JavaScript. It was tempting to pick either React or Vue. I couldn't. So I'm just going with JavaScript. I think that'll mo- give me the most uh, ROI in one year. Uh, for midterm, <laughs> I'm going to say JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> so five years from now, I think we're still going to be talking about JavaScript. Probably won't be Node anymore. But I think JavaScript is, st- is sticking around. And for 20 years, this is really tough because I-, I was really tempted to say like machine learning uh, or AI, like that was really tough. I think I, I finally settled on cloud. I think that computers are going to keep getting smaller and more distributed and more granular and kind of spread throughout our lives. And so I think the cloud is going to be like really important. And I think that's going to be a bigger, you know, econ- economic or yeah, economic, ecologic and social kind of factor in our lives. So that's where my programming dollars are going. Do you guys see, like, I, I just, you know, I read books like uh, the guy that, that you turned me on to, uh, Damon. Daniel Suarez. Daniel Suarez. Like, do you think that, let's say, 15, 20 years from now, is it going to be something where everybody's wearing some sort of either sunglasses or some sort of implant contact type thing in their eye that they see somebody and they see their name? Or they, is that where we're going? Like, I don't see it as being completely, I mean, out of the question. Google Glass, right? I mean, that was the interesting thing about that book. If, if, at, if you were lucky enough to read The Demon, uh, before, like when it originally came out, it like predated technologies that later came out. And so that idea about like wearing glasses, that where you could like see data and information about stuff that you're looking at. And then, you know, years later, Google glass comes out and you're like, Whoa, it's just like in the book. Yeah. And then Google glass died. Man, I I can totally see something like that. And the cloud would be a big part of that, right? Like the cloud would be the central nervous system of that. So I think the cloud's going to enable all these things that self-driving cars. That's going to be another one that the cloud is probably going to be heavily heavily involved in right so, so will ai ai will be yeah so did you guys speak in a cloud see the story about um like it was google facebook microsoft and twitter and the data projects that they're working on to where you can 
take data out of one system and take it take it from one to another. No. So it's like an interchange of data. So it's kind of like going, keeping along with your cloud idea, right? Like as things become more ubiquitous and part of our daily lives, right? That that language between them becomes more common too. Mm-hmm. So that it becomes like, you know, just another socket in the wall that you can just plug in whatever you want to plug into. I mean, it's going to be interesting, right? Like, uh, I, I'm trying to think there's certain things that are almost just available now, right? Like if you go to Starbucks, you can get on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that the cloud's going to be baked into many things that are purchased in the future. You go to buy a car, part of that cost is going to be the cloud subscription that came with it type of thing. Or, you know, I, I, and maybe you don't even buy cars in the future. Maybe it's going to be something where, you know, all the cars are the same. Oh, oh, no. No, it, no, no. Have you heard of this? I thought this is where you were going. Like car share type have you, thing? No, Volvo is doing this now. There's a subscription service that Volvo is coming out with for one of their cars. Yeah, see, that's where I think things are going to change, right? I forget, like, I want to say it was like, uh, depending on which model car you got, I think there was like two different options that you could get, and like the highest priced option was $600 a month, and that included everything. That's not bad. You don't main, you don't change the oil in this thing. You do no maintenance at all on it. It's a subscription. And when you're done with the car, you don't, it's not like a lease where it's like, Oh, well, it's, you know, whatever. It's like, you just turn it in. You're done. I mean, that- Oh, I forgot this part too. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. You. This <laughs> is exciting. It also included the insurance. Oh, that's killer. Mm. I mean, but that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking is, is if you look at the way that we've been going. So actually, you know what? If I could invest in something differently, it might just be subscriptions because look at everything that's happening now, right? Like if you start a software business, what are you going to do? You're going to do software as a service because you want that monthly income coming in, right? If, if it makes you do bookkeeping easier. Yeah, totally. And, and if I, I don't know, man, it just seems like everything's going in that direction anyway. So cars, um, I don't know, maybe even learning institutions, right? Like instead of paying to go to college, you're going to pay a subscription to, to, you know, Hey, I'm going to pay my hundred dollars a year from the time I'm, you know, plural site. Yeah. Coursera courses are like that. Like same I mean, thing. Yeah, they're kind of already we're we're kind of already getting to these subscription models for these things that you're mentioning. So anyway, I got a 30 day free trial to the University of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, but I mean, seriously, think about it though. If education has been getting out of control, right? As far as costs and all that, there's articles coming out all the time. You know, like there's some dude that had a million dollars. I think I sent you guys the article. Yeah. He's a doctor. Yeah. A dentist. He had a million dollars in student loan debt. First off, how do banks let that happen? But secondly, paying the minimum payments in 10 years, it was going to double to $2 million. And it's like, okay, I mean, come on. Yeah, if I remember that article right, he was counting on the fact that after like 25 years, he would, the debt was going to be forgiven or something because it was going to be so high or something. Like, I think if I remember that it article. It was something right. ridiculous. But, but it, yeah, so I mean, I don't know. This whole subscription thing, I think with information becoming more and more available, going back to your cloud thing, that's not a bad place to invest. I think everything's going to be tied into it. And, and whatever you're paying subscriptions for is also going to be paying into that, right? The Microsofts, the, the oh, Amazons, yeah. the Googles, they're all going to be getting a cut of all purchases that are happening because they're all going to be sending data up there. 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of hurts to like say, uh, you know, like a JetBrains example. Like I used to just buy it every couple of years, and so it kind of hurts to have a subscription fee. But really, it's better on both ends, I think, because on their side, it kind of lowers their risk. Like they've got recurring income; they don't have a big burst when a product comes out, and then a, a desert of income until another one. And as a consumer, I can pay you know nine dollars a month or whatever it is per month. And if I need that money back or if I, you know, lose my job or something else happens, I can change that. And so I don't have to pay a, a big bunch of money up front and just kind of evens things out. Yeah. You guys remember when Adobe uh, Suite for Photoshop and all that was like 2500 bucks a year. And now you can get that plus way more for 50 bucks a month, right? 600 bucks. Yeah, well, you used to just download on Napster. <laughs> Nobody ever did that. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, I can Not, remember like just buying Photoshop alone was $900 by itself. Yep. Right. Now you spend 600 bucks a year. And like you said, they're not getting a huge influx of cash, but they've got this steady stream of income that people even forget they're paying for like me. Yep. And, you know. 18 versions of Adobe Photoshop later. That's right, man. Right. <laughs> yeah, I swear that Adobe wanted people to steal Photoshop back in the day. Not anymore. Like CS3 days, they were like. You know what? Let's go ahead and like let let's like let the students like the twenty year olds like get the free copy and like learn how to use it and like edit their little crappy websites and then when those guys are thirty, they're all gonna pay nine hundred bucks. That's right. You say that like them being wanting to use it. I actually Adobe was one of the first that I can recall where part of the license agreement actually spelled out that you can install this software on multiple machines as long as you use them like you know at different times and the percentage of use was you know very. Right, like you, you couldn't use both machines a hundred percent of the time, right? Well, right. Not that that would be possible, but right. yep. So, yeah, that uh, all right, that was fun, man. I liked it. Yeah, and let us know in the comments if you uh, think otherwise or what your uh, thoughts on any of these topics have been. Really, yeah. So with that, yeah, we'll head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah, baby. All right, so. Uh, I've got several tips here for you, which is going to be kind of sad since, uh, I think Joe was hammering on the machine learning earlier. <laughs> so the first one is going to be, I found this really cool article from Google, uh, the rules of, well, basically it was Google's machine learning, uh, overview really. But one of the sections in it, uh, well, was their machine learning guides. And one of the sections in it was the rules of machine learning, uh, with a subtitle of best practices for machine learning engineering. And they had like all of these different steps for it that I thought was kind of interesting. Like one of them was like, you know, Hey, before machine learning, Hey, don't be afraid to launch your product without machine learning. Like that's not, that's not, you know, you don't have to. Right. Um, and that it's good to just go ahead and get the design out there and, and implement metrics. And that way you can get data and you kind of get buy-in from your users early on about like any data that you might want to collect or whatnot. Right. And, uh, you know, when it comes time to like choose mach- machine learning over some com- complex, uh, heuristic, right. That that's when you need to start bringing it in because that complex heuristic is going to be unmaintainable. And there's a bunch of interesting points in here. So I'll, I'll have a link to that. Um, but then, there was also this other cool one that I found that uh, I think this was trending on like um, the programming subreddit, but it was Rico's cheat sheets. And it has like this whole list of uh, like, okay, let's say for example, Docker compose, right? You want to know the cheat sheets on that. So it has like basic examples and commands that you're going to want to know. 
just to get kind of started right, uh, building with Docker Compose, running it, how to set ports and environment variables and dependencies, things like that, right? Uh, there's some in here for Docker file. There's uh, Git is in here. Then there's like IDEs. So maybe uh, you want to know about uh, Atom or Sublime and it'll show you like, hey, here's all the uh, uh, you know keystrokes that might be of interest to you, right? So you can find this at devhints.io. There's just so many in here. I can't even begin, you know, from bash to react to uh, VS code. Uh, Cron is in there. Uh, Chef is in there. Just you name it. It's in here. There's a cheat sheet for it to get you started. So pretty cool little tip on that. And then uh, one last little tip. I shared this with Alan like uh, a couple weeks back. And I was like, you know, I don't know if everybody realizes this. Maybe a lot of people don't know this, but if you have a Thunderbolt display, then on your Thunderbolt display, on the inside of it that you can't see, um, so let's say you have your display just sitting in normal landscape mode, then on the left and right border of your display, one near the top corners and one near each of the bottom corners are magnets. And it's super awesome because you can use it to hold your stuff, right? So, you know, it can't be like too heavy. It, you know, it needs to be somewhat lightweight. But if you are, you know, quote, Apple fanboy, no judging, <laughs> uh, then you probably, like me, you might have a dongle or two that Samsung is laughing at you about and you need a place to keep your dongle. So you can just stick it right there on that magnet, right there on the display, and it's handy. It's right there where you want it, when you need it. Love it. it actually, I saw his monitor. I was like, but, 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 do you have a, like a tape behind that? He's like, no, there's a magnet in there. <laughs> yeah, so basically I have like the, um, the, the, what is it, three? No, what's that? The, the standard headphone it's one in point eight millimeter jack, no, three and a half millimeter three jack. And a half. Uh to the lightning connector, right? That that short little dongle, and it's just stick stuck to the side of the display. And it you would think like, hey, how is that staying there? How is it not falling? And there's no trick. There's just a magnet there and it's holding on to the lightning connection. It's pretty cool. All right, so on mine, I actually just thought of one that I, I meant to have in here, and I, I struggled this episode. It's one of my favorite parts of the episode, and, and I literally was just dying to try and figure out a tip. So the first one that I did, because it was the lazy man's way out, is it's not as cool as Outlaws was. He's got devhence.io, which have millions of cheat sheets. I have one cheat sheet, and it is the ECMA... 20 yes 2015 or yes six cheat sheet it's on github there's some good tips in there it's just it's just a nice quick overview of some of the features in es 2015 uh, i don't think we've talked about those in quite a while if we ever went over them in depth at all but so you know enjoy that the other one is so i've been trying to <laughs> outlaw brought up the thing earlier about should you have smaller teams working on one portion of a site or or, or on an app or whatever and I've been trying to like diagram out an application. 
And the problem is when you do that, you run into a lot of things like there's these verticals, there's these horizontals, and just trying to even get it out on a piece of paper can be really mind bending, right? It's almost as hard as programming. And yeah, you need more than one piece of paper. Dude, it's ridiculous, right? Well, I found this tool because I, I was on my phone and I was like, man, there's got to be a decent diagramming solution. And there's one called uh, Draw Express. And on Android, it has excellent reviews. On iOS, it looks like it's about a four star, but it's really cool stuff. Like, you can open up this thing and you have, you can either do flow charts, you can do mind maps, you can do almost like UML type stuff like class diagrams for software. And what's really cool is you can draw a shape on the screen and it'll plop it out there. So your standard boxes, your circles, your diamonds, that kind of stuff, it'll do it. But what I thought was even neater is the way that they've done some of the gestures with the thing. So let's say that I draw four boxes on the screen and those represent four portions of my app. I can now draw a box around those and it'll group them together and create like a little dotted grouping thing for it. And then I can move all those together. You can double tap to fill in the things and all. So at any rate, really nice little drawing tool for doing diagrams and flow charts and whatnot in a fairly easy to use way. And they use gestures so that you can just, you know, if you want to delete something off screen, tap on it and draw an X and, and it'll disappear. So I uh, thought it was really fun. I think it was eight bucks on Android and I th- don't know what it is on iOS. Maybe it's about the same. So this thing looks like glyphy, but for iOS it's yeah, or man. for mobile, I should say. Yeah, dude, I, I love it. it. It's a lot of fun. And I think that, so there's a free version and I think it limits you to a few diagrams or if you do the paid version, then, then you get, you know, you can do as many as you want. So again, it's mind mapping plus flow charts plus other types of diagrams all in one. I, I really liked it so far. All right. And guess I'm up next. Um, so I found a really interesting Android app. So another mobile app here. Uh, it's not on iOS, unfortunately. It's called algorithms and, um, the subtitle there is explained and animated. So it's like, I think $2 you can pay like another $4 to unlock all the algorithms, but it's basically just a collection of algorithms. Like what things that we talked about, Dexter's algorithm, uh, Bellman forward, uh, merge sort, and you can click on it and uh, step through like line by line and actually see it do a nice little animation with the little objects and the numbers and everything's like uh, nice and nice looking. You also hit just kind of play and it'll play through and do the whole animation at a nice reasonable speed. But it's also just got some really nice background info. So I could say, um, scroll down to the security section and say, uh, encryption basics. And it's not really animated. It's almost like a little slideshow and kind of slip, like step through and it's explaining, you know, uh, public private key security to me. So it's just kind of nice. And it's a real lightweight app. So it's just, you can kind of like keep under the desk in an interview. So when they ask you about, uh, you know, differences between stacks and keys, you can just kind of look under the desk and, and, uh, Give them an intelligent answer. Dude, that's really sweet. This thing has got a ton of reviews, too. Yeah, 5, yeah it's really nice. And it looks like they're adding more stuff all the time. <clears throat> Man, I'm excited. It makes me want to make it. Yeah, I'm downloading it right now. <laughs> yeah, I really like to program those, those algorithms that we did last time. So I, I would like to get spare time and <laughs> uh, program a lot of algorithms. Most excellent. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. All right. So with that... Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. And also, along those lines, if you haven't already left us a review, we'd 
greatly appreciate it if you would by heading to www.codingblocks.net slash review where you can find some helpful links there. Yep, while you're up there, check out our extensive show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to the Slack channel or join my guild in Warcraft because the next expansion is coming out and uh, that's where I'm going to be for the next couple months. Uh, and follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks or head over to CodingBlocks.net where you can find all our social links at the top of the page and also the Warcraft Guild. Hey, and we keep forgetting, if you want some swag, some stickers, something, head to CodingBlocks.net slash swag and we'll get those sent out to you. Oatmeal. Cheddar.